Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need to have a healthy view of what fearing the Lord is. And fearless is a word that we use here on the podcast all the time. My podcast is named fearless. It's a word that's so important to me, but it can have different meanings in different stages of life and different connotations. But we, are, of course, are living in a hostile um culture that's increasingly hostile to biblical truth, of course. And I wrote a fearless family devotional for those that didn't know. Um, and it's a study on First Peter. It's only 14 days long, but it's to help equip you to spend daily time in God's word and to help you prepare your family to have a fearless faith. And Peter, of course, he wrote this short letter to believers who were living in turbulent times just like we are today. And I will put a link in the show notes of how you can get your own copy, but it's also on my website, sissygramlynch.com. Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to Fearless. Trying to understand the Middle East is complicated. There's nothing simple about it. And due to all the details of not understanding the significance and being a half world away, most people have never taken the time to learn about the significance and how it affects us. And one of my goals here on Fearless is to always make things as simple as possible so that we can understand complex issues and to be able to know why it's important and why we need to take a stand. And the word of God takes a new life when a person can comprehend the major events of Israel's history. Once we can understand and we can see how religious, cultural, and politics, you know, all this was set up in biblical times, we will begin to understand God's plan for mankind. And many people have reached out to me after last week's episode, asking where they can get more information from a source that they can trust on this issue. And Skip Isaac is a dear family friend, one of my dad's best friends, and he's one I've always gone to for hard questions. And he has the ability and the gift to explain this in a simple way that we can all understand. And I'm honored to have him here with us today to talk about this more in detail of what's happening in Israel. Skip, welcome back to Fearless. It's great to be with you. This is a tough time to talk about, but I'm glad we're together again. Skip, as of this morning, the IDF says there are 199 hostages in Gaza. And now 28 communities are being told to evacuate in northern Israel because now Hezbollah has gotten involved in southern Lebanon. When we talk about the Bible, we'll get into that and ask you some questions. And here in the United States, the FBI warns of copycat attacks. And so there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack and I've asked you here to kind of give us an Israel 101 uh, with the short time that we have. But to understand all of this, we need to look at it through a biblical worldview. And Skip, before we got started, I told you that I sat in two different churches the last two weekends for different reasons. And there wasn't even a mention of Israel from the pulpit. And I've seen a lot of these different young pastors not mention Israel on their social media while they're talking about other issues in their life. And I've just been sad. I've been burdened for the church here and especially in America to understand all of this. So why as a believer should I understand the history of this land and the significance of what's happening today? That's a, a great question. And I just wanna help frame that again. Whether a pastor mentions Israel or not, because of their stand on Israel or the Palestinian issue or whatever their eschatological viewpoint is, push that aside. 
Just the fact that people have been butchered, babies have been beheaded, people have been burned, Holocaust survivors have been tortured. Just that alone merits mention in prayer. And then if you bring into it the biblical significance, then it's huge. And the church has to pivot and be willing to pivot and to address the issue because it's on everyone's mind. So to just come to church and continue in the series we're continuing in without mentioning that, uh, people in the pew are left kind of moreless and people are looking for answers. What does the Bible have to say about this, if anything? And what should I know and how should I be prepared? So you're absolutely correct. And the thing about Israel is that's how God tells time. That's how God moves through history. We're given a timetable in the book of Daniel, 70 weeks, a 70-week prophecy, a 490-year prophetic calendar, and God has kept perfect time on that so far. But God keeps Jewish time, and God made a covenant with David, made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but then to King David that somebody would sit on his throne. And we worship a Messiah who is returning to occupy that throne, the throne of David. So when it comes to Israel, there's a significant promise in the Old Testament where God says, uh, if I can break the covenant with the sun and the moon, only then can I break the covenant with the people of Israel that I have made. So if the sun ceases to shine and the moon ceases to shine, only then will my covenant be broken. So it's a way of saying my covenant with them is permanent, eternal, and not dependent on their faithfulness. And you just touched on it a little bit. But when we see arguments about what's happening in Israel on both sides, everybody says, you know, they think this is a history of just 75 years, but this is thousands of years. So you did very briefly, but can you take us through a quick biblical history of the existence of this piece of land? Sure. God promised in Genesis 12 to Abraham that he would father a nation and that the world would be blessed through that nation. Through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, ultimately, that is the Messiah. But the receptacle through which the Messiah came was a specific people group in a specific place. God promised to Abraham, not just that he would have a lot of kids and would bless the world, but he told Abraham that he would have a specific piece of real estate. Um, and, and that happens to be the borders of Israel, actually much bigger than the present day borders, but basically that area. He promised it to Abraham. He made the promise to Isaac, not to Esau, but to Isaac. He made it to Jacob, not to his brother. So he made it to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. We know that the sons of Jacob were displaced in Egypt for 400 years. God also predicted that. He said, I'll bring you out of that land to your own land. So the people of Israel occupied a piece of real estate that is part of the land covenant that God said he would give to them as an eternal or everlasting possession. That's the words God used. I'm giving this to you as an everlasting inheritance and it's an everlasting covenant. He did that with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. Then he pinpointed it down through the dynasty of King David. And we have the history in the Bible of the kings, uh, the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom. But ultimately God promised that one would sit on the throne of David and rule eternally. That's why the disciples, when Jesus came, expected a messianic kingdom. And that's why even when Jesus rose from the dead, 
uh, they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they all understood as little Jewish boys being raised in Galilee and now as adults, that sometime a Messiah is going to come and rule and reign from this land, from this city of Jerusalem. That has been their hope. It is still their hope. And it happens to now be the Christian hope because we have been grafted in to that that great system, that great olive tree. But as Paul the Apostle said in the New Testament, everything we have, including scripture, Messiah, promises, are all part of the Jewish gift that God gave to the world. And with this covenant, he, he promised land and lineage. And to this day, we see both of those, the, the Jewish people being attacked and this land so central of the world's focus right now. Who are the Palestinians? I think a lot of people have that question. And what is the history of the Palestinians and the land of Israel? First of all, the term Palestine is an important term. The term Palestine was a term coined, not by the Jews, but by the Romans. Um, after the fall of the temple and the desecration of the city of Jerusalem, um, there was a Roman emperor that uh, gave the name Alia Capitolina to the city of Jerusalem and polluted the city with false idols and changed the name of Israel to Palestine. Actually, Ur Philistia, the land of the Philistines, because the Philistines were the primary ancient enemy of Israel. So he, he wanted to snub the Jews by saying their land is now Palestine. So that's where it comes from. There is no recognized Palestinian nation um, or people. These are Arab peoples who feel they have been displaced and ever since 1948 have mounted several attacks along with Arab nations that surround Israel to displace the Jews from the land. The idea that there is a Jewish presence in the Middle East at all is abhorrent to them. It's not that they just want self-governance and Israel is occupying the land. That's a, that's a falsity. Israel has not occupied Gaza since 2005. They pulled out. They gave it all to them. Ariel Sharon, the former prime minister, gave Gaza to the Palestinians to self-govern. And they kind of pulled out. And ever since then, they've had problems. Uh, Israel has had problems with them. But they do not want any Jews at all in the land. It's not like, well, we want a two-state solution. They don't, they want a one-state solution. It's their state. And they want Israel completely annihilated. Yeah, there's no negotiation. Yeah. Um, after October 7th, the world had clarity of who Hamas was. And we saw that evil has no limit. It has been hard for me to turn off the TV. It's been hard for me to turn off the social media, especially I have young children. I have a 10-month-old baby who last night I was putting to bed and I just couldn't imagine waking up the next morning and it being a bloodbath in her crib. Hmm. But we saw that evil has no limit. And a quote from one of the commanders of Hamas said, we love death as much as Jews love life. Yep. So who is Hamas? And what are their core beliefs, which you just kind of touched on, but let's go deeper. What are their core beliefs and what does that mean for Israel, but also for the world? Their core belief is that Allah has given them the land and Jews should be eradicated. You mentioned no negotiation. Uh, back after 1967, 
the Arabs got together in Khartoum and they came up with the three no's. No recognition, no recognition of the land of Israel will never recognize you as a, as a sovereign state. No peace and no negotiation. So realize you're dealing with the people who are basically saying, we will never sit down. Here's a quote from Hamas. This is from their own charter in Article 13. There is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. So when they say no negotiation, realize what that means. It means we will kill you and then we'll be satisfied. When you are eradicated, we will be satisfied. Until then, we will not have a negotiation with you. That's basically who they are. Yeah, you just mentioned, and that's kind of known as the three no's. No peace, no negotiation, no recognition of Israel. Right. Which is also, you know, since 1948, Israel's continued to be attacked. They continue to win these small battles. I say small, they're not small, but small comparative to what we're facing right now when the prime minister declared war. But even after Hamas has lost in some of these battles, they still don't want to negotiate. And Corey goes, when you're the loser, you don't get to not negotiate at the table but they don't even want to recognize it. Why do you think Hamas attacked now? That's a good question. They obviously had some intelligent system. Israel, interestingly, still ironically, was the one caught off guard, which is typically never the case in that region. So I, I don't know what they did or caused. That is the big, that's the million dollar question. That's what everybody's trying to figure out, both in the United States and in Israel. How did this slip through our purview? But it did. Hamas isn't acting alone, even though Iran just today said, well, they're on their kind of on their own. We're not going to, you know, they're, they're hedging their bet. But we all know, every diplomat knows that Hamas is part of a, a strategic area-wide coalition that includes Hezbollah, the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, and a host of other organizations, some considered moderate, you and I would not consider moderate, and others considered very radical, Hamas included, who want the extermination of Israel, but they work in their proxy uh, groups for a, a country, Iran. Iran has stated over and over and over again that they want the elimination of the state of Israel, that that Israel is the little Satan, America is the great Satan. So they don't like the West, obviously, but they really hate Israel. And the reason there have been historic preemptive strikes against Iran and their nuclear facilities is because Israel then had intelligence of those things going on. The reason Israel struck Syrian runways to dismantle their capabilities is because Iran is flying weapons north of Israel and has outfitted them south of Israel and Gaza to attack Israel. So why they did it now, I don't exactly know. It's some coordinated effort with Iran. Do you think Iran's wanting to do that now because there has been peace? I mean, there's been some treaties that people probably never thought were possible and Iran wants to disrupt that? No, no question. Yeah, no question. The Abraham Accords were a, a great triumph of uh, our last president, President Trump, and he brought these nations together, and now Israel has been talking about peace with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is 
an enemy of Iran. Iran hates Saudi Arabia. You have Sunni and Shia Muslim split, ideological split. And uh, the idea that you would have peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which houses the holy Mecca and Medina, the holy sites of Islam. The fact that you would have peace with those two nations and leave Iran out, or more than that, leave the Palestinian out of the question and not demand that Israel have some kind of land agreement with the Palestinians was abhorrent to them. So this was to disrupt that, no doubt. And of course, now people are learning more about Hezbollah. They've been in southern Lebanon for a long time, but now they've been attacking northern Israel. Do they have the same motives? Do they all believe the same things? They're just under different names when it comes to Israel? Yeah, they do. I mean, they have slightly different charters and they have different senior leadership, but they're both proxies of Iran. Hezbollah is a disparate group that has moved into Lebanon and effectively ruined Lebanon. Lebanon was such a beautiful country and Hezbollah has ruined it and is basically holding that country hostage and using Lebanon to stage attacks, not just Lebanon, but Syria as well, stage attacks against Israel. They've done this since the you know, 50s and 60s. They've been lobbing missiles down into Israel, into Galilee. You know, of course, we have compassion and we're praying for the innocent lives that are in Gaza. But what has life been like for Palestinians living under the Hamas rule? And then what kind of services does Israel provide to residents in Gaza and the West Bank? Well, that's a very interesting question, and it's a good one. For this reason, a lot of aid, including American aid dollars, have gone into Gaza to help the Gazan citizens over the years and other countries. So there has been a cash flow to that nation. Uh, It's a very densely populated strip of land, probably the most densely populated in the world. Their infrastructure is not good. There's an aquifer of water underneath, uh, so they have natural resources, but it has become polluted because it's been mismanaged. So all the dollars that go in to help uh, are taken, not all of them, but a lot of them, most of them and used to form weapons. So they boasted recently, I saw a video where they took water pipes and made missiles out of them to launch into Israel. Well, why are you taking water pipes that could be used to give water to your people and clean water to your people and use them to launch attacks uh, against the enemy? Why are you taking the money that could be used to provide cement to build buildings and give suitable structures and public spaces to your people? And why are you using them to build tunnels underneath cities for terrorist purposes? So they have mismanaged uh, that region and used it as a base of terror operations. There's a quote from Golda Meir. She was the fourth prime minister of Israel and the first and only female head of government in the Middle East. And she has said, when peace comes, we will perhaps in time be able to forgive the Arabs for killing our sons. But it will be harder for us to forgive them for having forced us to kill their sons. Peace will come when Arabs will love their children more than they hate us. And how does her quote show the reality of what some Arab children are growing up in? Yeah, that's such a great quote. And she knew back then, that's 19, like 1970s, 73, she was still the prime minister, the fourth prime minister of Israel. Uh, Golda Meir knew what she was up against, that they were willing 
to kill anybody to achieve an objective and that if they didn't die, they would be training children and grandchildren and subsequent generations to take up jihad to kill as many Jews as possible. So she knew that she's up against an enemy that's unlike any other enemy. Usually enemies do negotiate when they're backed into a corner. I think what we need to do to look at this situation and to help frame what Golda Meir said about this situation is go back to the medieval times and beyond when the Arabs promised that they would take over Constantinople. Constantinople was the center of the Western world at the time and was becoming at that time the center of Christianity. It was shifting from Rome to Constantinople. But they promised that they would take it over and nobody took them seriously. And they said, even if we don't in this generation and you can kill us, you can kill our children, you can kill our grandchildren, but eventually we are going to take you over. That was their promise. They did it. It's now called Istanbul. And history shows the bloody wars in that region, their determination to annihilate people for their own cause, to dominate. And that's why they took Hagia Sophia, that great church, and made it a mosque. They didn't just build a mosque next to it. They wanted to show the world, we are dominating Christianity. We are dominating the Jews. So this is a radical wing of Islam. It's really Islam at its roots. It is not a moderate Islam. And you might say, well, that's just a few radicals. Listen, if you look at how many Muslims are in the world, a few radicals happens to be millions and millions of them. When you have millions of people thinking like this, you had 20 people slam into buildings on 9-11. Look at the carnage they created. You had a group of Hamas terrorists last week wreak havoc on southern Israel. And now this, look what a few radicals can do. There's millions of them. And what, what frightens me is we have a border that is insecure and we have tens of thousands of military aged men, many of them from the Middle East, unaccounted for. We don't know where they are. We don't know who they are, but they're here. And you say that it's, I look at the images that came out of London this past weekend where 50,000 people were protesting yeah. uh, for Palestine. But we've been so careful in the last couple of weeks to make sure we're saying these attacks were from Hamas and they were behind the attacks and not Palestine. We're being very careful with those words. Um, but over the last week, this is something I, I'm personally struggling with it. I know other people are struggling with because when we see these pro-Palestinian rallies happening all across the world in the world's major cities, uh, they just had on the news this morning in Germany, they are warning Jewish people to be careful not to wear Jewish emblems. I'm wearing my Star of David cross to hide their faith is what they were telling them in Germany. In my lifetime as a millennial, I never thought I would see this kind of just hate. What my question is getting to is, They've had these pro-Palestinian rallies all around the world, 50,000 in London, uh, even in our country, but none of them have denounced the attacks. None of them have denounced the attacks, the horrid attacks that happened on October 7th. So do all Palestinians support Hamas? And does Hamas support all Palestinians? A better way to look at it is all Palestinians support Palestine and most of them support the ideology that Israel has been the oppressor and that the Palestinians have been the victims. That is the narrative that keeps being reinforced. That's the narrative that they teach their children. 
and many Palestinians in Gaza, in the West Bank, are being taught to grow up and kill Jews. It's a noble thing to do. Little kids, I've seen videos of little children, five, six, seven-year-old children, saying their greatest ambition is to kill Jewish people. And it's bone chilling to hear it. So to answer your question, the majority of Palestinians support freeing Palestine. That's what they're chanting. They say free Palestine. Well, free them of what? What does that mean to free Palestine? The ideology of Hamas, of Hezbollah, of Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, of Fatah, of all these people that are controlling the Palestinians, it means this, free Palestine of the Jews. Once you take the Jews out of Palestine, you free Palestine. I'm half tempted to get a t-shirt that says free Palestine of Hamas. That's the problem. That's why there's an incursion right now. Um, because if you go back a little bit, ever since Hamas has been in Gaza, entrenched in Gaza, they have hidden behind human shields. We know this. The world knows this. This is not new news. This is not some radical ideology. This is what they do. We know that they hide behind hospitals, children, children's homes, schools. And that was the dilemma that they were faced with way back when, you know, a few years ago, do we bomb the site and take out the terrorists? If we do, we're going to hurt innocent people. So they decided not to. In deciding not to, it allowed Hamas to grow stronger and it allowed them to perpetrate what we saw a week ago. When we do look at these protests, a lot of them are happening on our university institutions. Why do you think we're seeing so many young American adults, uh, many in the young churches, supporting the Palestinian cause and not standing with Israel? Well, my first reaction was to say, because young people are dumb, but I don't want to say that um, because not all of them are. And they're going to school to get smart. But at the same time, they're at an age. I remember being at that age. You look for a cause and you look for a cause that is popular in your age group. And it's um, the peer pressure at that age group is enormous. And there's a narrative for every age group on a college campus to follow. And when you break ranks with that, you will incur the wrath of that. If you have a conservative speaker speak at a college, they will get shut down. You can have a, a left-wing, pro-Palestinian, a pro-anything. That fits the narrative. So it's sort of a generational, ideological philosophy du jour that happens. And a lot of them don't think through or read the other side to get fully informed. They get informed by friends, by tweets, by social media things, and they're just uninformed. Well, not all young generation are dumb. I was sitting there with my seven-year-old son today on the news, and he was sitting on the couch as he was getting dressed for school. And we had the news on, and they were talking about the number of hostages rising. And he said, how will they be able to get them back? He goes, if they're hiding them and they go in, they could be killed. And he said, Israel can't win. It's a lose-lose. And that was coming from my seven-year-old son. And I just, man, I said, Austin, you're right. I said, you're a very smart boy. And I said, and that's what the enemy wants. They want Israel to look bad. So I say that with, man, my seven-year-old was very smart on the couch today when he had that revelation. Yes. Out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Man, we face evil and darkness, but as Christians, we have hope. 
Yes. And that's what we need. And back in April, I was visiting your church um, and you're in the middle of the series called Is the End Near? And actually, I was there on the day you were teaching on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Can you unpack this for us? Because if Iran gets involved, the chess pieces are aligning. Right. How might any of this uh, fit into biblical prophecy about the end times? That's a good question. So Ezekiel 38 and 39 predict a war that is coming against Israel by a coalition of nations. They're given in Ezekiel their ancient names, but the modern counterpart names would be Russia, Iran, ancient Persia, Turkey, and Islamic states of the Upper Nile region, a group of nations gathered together against Israel at some point in the future. We have never historically seen that coalition, but we are now starting to see that coalition come together. We have known that Russia and Iran have exchanged assets. There's hundreds of scientists from Russia working in Iran, in the nuclear program in Iran. We know that Turkey and Russia have signed anti-ballistic missile deals. So there's a compatibility that is forming between the leaders of Russia, Iran, Turkey, and some of these other places. What's also interesting to note is that you have Iran that is funding Hamas, but the Hamas fighters themselves, the terrorists, were trained by the Wagner group, who are Russian soldiers. The Russian soldiers went there and trained them how to fight, how to conduct that kind of grisly warfare. So, um, yeah, we're starting to see an alignment, a coalition of these things come together. The Bible's 26% prophecy. Many people have a hard time understanding it. It's confusing. Um, it's difficult to read. So they don't study it. But why does God give us prophecy and why is it important for us to study? God gives us prophecy to validate his character, his personality. What Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I'm telling you these things in advance so that when they come to pass, you'll know that I have spoken them. So how can you differentiate what the Bible says as the word of God versus what the Quran says or what the Bhagavad Gita says or any of the other holy books of the world? Well, one of the great validations is prophecy. When you have something predicted hundreds, thousands of years before it happens in great detail, the more details you add to that prediction, the slimmer the chances of that prediction coming true. But when it does come true, it gives the um, observer the opportunity to go, wow, that's evidence, that's proof. This book is different than any other book. This God is different than any other God. And um, God graciously has done that. He has revealed not everything, but certain things. I love that quote in Deuteronomy where it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and our children forever. And I've also learned from you, because Corey and I, we watch many of your series all the way from afar. You're in Albuquerque and I'm here in Florida. But that the Bible prophecy is to get us ready. You know, that we as Christians, it is to get us ready that we're not surprised when these things happen, that our feet are solid. We know that God is at work. But what is God's end goal? When we look at what's happening in Jerusalem and Israel and the evil that we're facing, what's his end goal? His end goal, first of all, is to give, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he wants people saved and he wants his church active in evangelism toward that end. But his ultimate goal on earth 
is to send his son a second time to rule and to reign. Uh, He has sent his son the first time to deal with sin, and then the second time he will come back again to rule and reign with those who have been cleansed of sin. So um, his ultimate goal in the Middle East, if that's what you're asking, and in the world is to rule and reign over this world, but in the meantime, bringing as many people to salvation as possible. And, you know, for all of us that have been watching our news on our social media, it can be very daunting. It can be emotional and we need to turn it off sometimes and spend time with the Lord and just spend time praying. And as Christians, what should we be focused on in these days and what should our prayers be? Well, we're told in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love thee. So first we should be praying for the land that God made a covenant with. But also there are other people in the region that they don't want this. They have been brainwashed. Uh, Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. There are Christian missionaries that have been in Gaza who have been trying to share the gospel. Many of the Muslims who've converted to Christianity are sharing the gospel. Pray for them. Pray for courage for them during this time. They may be hostages. They may be facing death. Pray that they will be faithful to the end. And pray that through this horrible time that some of the people caught in the crossfire of these radical ideologies will come to meet the God who loves them and wants to save them. That's possible. And it's happened. We get reports of what's happening in Iran. Many people have come to Christ in Iran uh, in the last several years. So I'm praying that that will happen because of this. As we get ready to close this past week, when you were speaking to your church on this issue, you told them that the church, they needed to raise the bar. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, we know that things are going to happen, that the world's going to get darker and darker. It's going to get worse and worse. Uh, You can't read Revelation without going. It's going to get pretty dim, uh, especially as we get to the end and especially as the birth pangs, you know, this contraction of muscle and then releasing and then another contraction. And we're experiencing a contraction right now. So we know the birth pangs are coming. But when I say raise the bar, it's like, let these things be a wake-up call to you. Just like September 11th was a wake-up call that lasted for a while, not long, but it was a wake-up call. For some, COVID was a wake-up call. I've gotten letters from people who said, it just snapped me back into, I got to get right with the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Let this be one of those moments. Let this be a crystallizing moment. You know, a lot of people have come to me this week and they said, you know, when the war broke out this week in Israel, I know, I don't know a lot about prophecy, but I know you've talked about Israel and Revelation and I think we're in that time. And they, they say, I need to get right with the Lord. I need to raise the bar. So- You're saved for a purpose. Find out what that purpose is and don't march with fear into the future. I love the fact that your podcast is called Fearless. We all ought to be fearless. You know, bring it on. God's in control of history. God's in control of the future. Let's march into the future with confidence in a fearless manner, knowing we're going to win in the end because he is going to win in the end. Skip, once again, Thank you for bringing clarity to some difficult situations through the scripture. And I encourage everyone who's listening, check out Skip's series, Is the End Near? Skip, where can they find that series? They can find it at the Calvary webpage, calvarynm.church. 
is our website and it's called the end is near question mark. And you can just go to that series. And we try to go into a little more depth on biblical eschatology to get people in the know. We did several messages in a row just on, on Israel and the place of Israel and prophecy. So that may be of significance uh, to listeners right now. And Skip, I don't normally do this, but as I said earlier, many of us just need to stop and we just need to pray instant time with the Lord. Would you close us in prayer? I'd love to. Father, we look to you who is the the author of life and the God who created everyone and everything. You're also the God of history. History is, as we often say, his story, your story, Lord. You are through the chess pieces on the board, giving free will volition to people on earth. But at the same time, you are overruling the entire set of events to bring it to one culminating event in the return of your son. Father, we echo the words of the New Testament. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We want Jesus to come. We want him to rule and reign over the universe that he made. But until then, Lord, I pray we would be strong. We would be courageous. We would be fearless going forward and that we would give to people answers. This is a perfect time as not just Christians, but many unbelievers are wondering what's happening to give clarity by our witness to them. I pray you'll give your people peace. I pray those who are tuning into this broadcast would experience your peace that passes all understanding in their family, in their situation. And I pray you use all of us as your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Skip. Today, there was another big conversation on the events going on in Israel. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Fearless. I also encourage you to check out YouTube channel if you would prefer to watch it and to send it to others. Thank you. I wasn't given the spirit of-